So many of us have app fatigue. So many clients, so many apps, and so many different payments, charges, receipts, subscriptions, discounts, bundles. It's almost impossible to keep track of. What if you could have just one subscription for 50 different integrated business apps? You can. It's called Zoho One. Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, Zoho, later in the episode. Broadly, in the United States right now, across all industries, there are two jobs for every one worker. Two jobs available for every one worker. So I find this idea that a recession is going to correct the labor imbalance in accounting to be completely absurd. Because if anything, it's worse than that. There's probably more than two jobs for every accountant right now. So even if a recession causes a drop in employment of, I don't know, 20%, which would be a lot, there's still going to be more jobs than there are people. Coming to you weekly from the OnPay Recording Studio, this is the Cloud Accounting Podcast. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. And we are joined today by Sarah Work. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So, Sarah, where are you based? I am outside of Charlotte in York, South Carolina. And you are a CPA. Yep. And you're also running for office. Yes. South Carolina State Treasurer. It's South I mean, Carolina it's, State like, Treasurer. Historically, yeah, we've the always whole state. said like, mm-hmm. we need more CPAs in politics. Right. right? <laughs> a lot more. And so... Yeah. We saw the opportunity of like, yeah, come on and talk to our listeners. Not obviously, not all our listeners can vote for you. Right. They should be able to, they could donate. They could help you out. They they could donate. And I love donations. Please um, feel free to send me donations. We're trying to get some last minute like advertising on newspapers, um, you know, on their banners, on their online um, advertising and also uh, Facebook and all the, all the places where people go for their, their media content. But the, the reason I kind of like asked you guys if I could come on is because, you know, you had you had mentioned that, that more accountants should be involved in politics. And I think just as and if and everyone asks me, like, what would you consider success in running for state treasurer if you don't actually get into office? And I was like, if I can if I can encourage one other person to run for office, even though it's uncomfortable and it's not, you know, putting yourself out there is not the easiest thing in the world. But if I can encourage one more person to run for office and be a citizen leader instead of part of the political class, uh, I would consider that a success. So awesome. hopefully, well, yeah. hopefully we can encourage some, some folks today that even even if you can't vote for me in South Carolina uh, to be the choice that they, sh- they want to see on their ballots. So. Well, thanks for joining us. I would love to talk to you more about your platform, what you want to do, and how you want to change things. Yeah. Uh, but first, we got to talk, David, about where we were at this past week. We were at Sweet yeah, we, World in Las we Vegas. We went around for three, four days in a row, three days. It feels like yeah. four days in Vegas, but it's probably just three, two and a half days. Two, it was two nights, basically, but it felt like four. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Two nights is my preferred amount of time in, in Vegas. After that, I start things start to get a little strange, right? The world doesn't... <laughs> The world doesn't make sense anymore. Uh, but we were there for, yeah, three nights. This is the conference put on by Oracle NetSuite. Uh, NetSuite is part of Oracle. They do an annual conference. For our listeners who are more familiar with Zero or with QuickBooks, this is their version of QuickBooks Connect or ZeroCon. And what was amazing to me about this conference, having gone now for four years, this is our second year as the podcast, 
is just how much it's becoming more like a QuickBooks Connect or a ZeroCon. That was my impression. David, did you feel the same way? The energy and the innovation. I mean, four years ago, it was like way more people in business suits and kind of just buttoned up. But now it's a lot more, I don't know, It's it's it just felt more energized. It felt more casual. So I didn't casual. go four years ago, but like here they had this huge long stage and it's 6,000 seats for their keynote and motorcycles were driving across the stage. And you're telling me four years ago, there was no way that would have happened. Evan Goldberg, the founder of NetSuite, has always had sort of a mischievous personality, and he likes to—he likes puns, he likes jokes, you know. And uh, so there's always it was that, but not this level of like the size of it, the energy of it. And we got to speak to quite a few NetSuite customers. I think we did five or six interviews while we were there. And I can run talked, through, like, does it give a preview? Yeah, um, give us a preview of what we're going to hear. Sounds like cookies. So we uh, interviewed the uh, VP of finance, Michael Card, at Crumble. So Crumble Cookies, accounts like popsicles. We introduced the CF, <laughs> uh, interviewed the CFO uh, Connor Ray of Johnny Pops. Um, we introduced a CPA who had a really interesting career because she started out. Believe it or not, her first job was at Ar- or Anderson. Arthur, Arthur Anderson. Anderson, and she went from in a six-month period to Arthur Anderson completely folding. I'm afraid out of college. That's her first job in accounting firm because of the Enron thing. And uh, she works for a farmer chem, farm chem, and they make uh, drug patches for your arms yeah. for uh, drug and testing. W- so it's just it was a great like, – like, I love talking to the customers. Yeah, like, and also the director of finance at Grid, which is a sustainable cryptocurrency mining company, uh, which, you know, I like the sustainable and cryptocurrency aren't two things that I am, like, super familiar with, but – like as being con- con- connected, but yeah, like it was, so it was great. They're all on NetSuite. They're all using it in different ways and different scale. Like FarmChem is nine people. And I think the largest one is probably uh, Crumble, the cookie company where they've got like 200 franchisees now. And the, but they're all like super high growth. They all are super ambitious. And we talked to them about like what they are using in NetSuite why they switch from QuickBooks to NetSuite. And that's in every episode. So if you are a QuickBooks Zero person and you don't know mid-market ERP or software like NetSuite, wh- listen to those episodes and you'll find out when you need to switch, when to advise customers. Yeah, it was very enlightening. Like The big takeaway for me was that when QuickBooks started to break was when you needed to connect your operational and your financial processes in one place. And, and when things got really complicated, uh, when it came to like invoicing or when it came to food manufacturing and needing to track lot numbers across all of these different um, batches you're making and that kind of stuff you can do in an ERP system, which you can't do. And, and what's in interesting about that conference, because think about our, our audience and who we talk to all the time. We talk to other accountants and bookkeepers that usually have clients, but we never talk to anybody's clients. So this is the this, and then maybe a little bit at Sage Transform in two weeks when we go there. We actually talk to users of the software in a way we don't get to do that with all the other accountants. And so maybe we're just like I'm not saying we're bored of talking bored talking to accountants and bookkeepers, but it's really refreshing, exciting to talk to an accountant or bookkeeper that's part of a building fat high growth company and how they yes. got there and why they chose certain platforms and made decisions on their accounting and bookkeeping and uh, where they're at in their journeys. It's really exciting. And um, the the head of finance, the CFO at Crumble, what was his name again? Um, uh, Michael Card, right? Mike, yes. So Mike, Mike he's, he's got a great story because he actually was, uh, he owned a small accounting firm and Crumble was a client. 
And then as Crumble grew, they asked him for more and more help until they said, hey, can you just like run accounting and finance for our company? So he, he, he got out of his practice and now he's a CFO. So that's something that could really happen to our listeners. Yeah. So I, I think tune into the bonus episodes. We'll, we'll get those All right. out. Uh, did you want to touch so, on, like, since we're talking, uh, talking about Sweet World and NetSuite, do you want to talk about kind of some of the announcements that were there that week? Well, a lot of it was app news, you know, what's new in the, in the app. So maybe we save that uh, for a little bit later when we get to app news. Oh, that makes sense. I, All I, right. I was curious, I, and I definitely want to get back to you, Sarah, and talk about the politics and, the, and what you're doing in South Carolina. Is there anything else, David, that we should add to our agenda for this episode? What's well, top of mind looking, for you like, this week? I don't have any political stuff. To, to lead us into this so we can, it's good. So now we have a political uh, person here. Yeah, I guess, guess the only other thing that I have that's kind of political in a way, at least political in our profession, is uh, there was a story, we didn't get to it last week, uh, that, that is just burning on my uh, list. The SEC Advisory Committee, or one of the SEC Advisory Committees, the Investor Advisory Committee, released a set of recommendations for reforming the Financial Accounting Standards Board. And they're basically saying a lot of the stuff that uh, we've been talking about, criticizing the Financial Accounting Standards Board for not keeping up with stuff like intangible assets and and just wasting time, that's not their words, those are mine, wasting time on nitpicky rulemaking around revenue recognition and lease accounting and taking 10 years to do anything about it. And uh, so I want to talk about that. So that's the other that's the other thing I've got on my list today. So let's talk about as always, and we always have a hard time cramming it into an hour. So I guess let's talk to Sarah. <laughs> Sarah, well, <laughs> welcome back. I'm thanks. I've been here the whole time. I didn't go anywhere. <laughs> you have, you have, and uh, okay. So so let's talk about um, your political platform, right? Like, why should South Carolina voters vote for Sarah Work CPA? Well, I have oh, 18 years of experience in public accounting and, you know, as a public accountant, and you guys know this as well, that we're basically the bridge between the public and the government anyway. So, you know, I have a lot of experience dealing with Department of Revenues, not just in South Carolina, but across the country, because our client, you know, our clientels are from California to Pennsylvania. So we've got everybody in between. And, and I have... I have the experience of dealing with people like I have the experience of managing an office. I'm a partner in my firm. So it's one of those, those things that just seems like a natural fit. Like I wanted to be able to give the people of South Carolina a choice. And I don't like the sticky kind of wedge topics of general assembly or state Senate, even though I have run for those offices before someone had approached me and said, you know, as a CPA, you should really consider running for state treasurer. And I said, yeah, that, that actually makes a lot of sense. Let's, let's try that. So uh, I did run four years ago as for state treasurer and uh, I'm running again uh, now four years later, because last time it was a three-way race between myself and the two box, you know, the big box brands. Um, so that's this time it's just me and the incumbent. And, you know, I have 18 years of public accounting experience where the incumbent really only has his experience as treasurer before his, you know, before he was elected. So, and just, yeah, you, you see there my, my list of qualifications versus the incumbent. And I'm actually running as a 
more or less an independent candidate under the Alliance Party and just trying to you know, let people know that you should not vote based on party, but on people. And that's that's part of what I'm trying to communicate is that I'm, I'm not here to basically push a political agenda. I'm here to work for the people of South Carolina. And uh, there's actually, I shared in our uh, chat feed, I don't know if that's live or not, but there's an article from the New York Times about how state treasurers are weaponizing the office by basically blacklisting Canada or blacklisting companies that are trying to be economically uh, or not, I'm sorry, environmentally proactive, uh, trying to be green. And what that does is it drives out competition for like state bonds, which inevitably increases the price to borrow, which, you know, the state loses in that situation. So it doesn't make a whole bunch of sense. And then they're also talking about how they're, you know, pushing uh, state investments because that's what the state treasurer does is they basically take funds received by the Department of Revenue in ta for taxes and payroll and all that kind of stuff and invest them until the state's ready to use them. So they're also investing in companies that are not not green friendly, like oil, gas, uh, coal kind of situations where, mm -hmm. you know, those might, you know, everyone's seen gas prices recently, right? Those might pay out in the short term, but long term, is that really what we need for the future? Um, considering we just had Hurricane Ian hit the states twice, uh, you know, went through Florida and then came back around, hit South Carolina and North Carolina. We have wildfires and all, all kinds of issues, like globally, you know, I think Pakistan is still trying to basically uncover themselves from the, from the water that has, you know, flooded like the most of the country over there. So it's, it's an unfortunate situation that I think that a lot of people aren't aware of. And I don't, I don't want that to be the future for my children. I, so I am putting myself out there as a candidate running for a party that's not of the typical box with, you know, the only agenda is to make sure that my children, um, the, the state is ready for my children to leave when the time comes and or whoever's children to leave when the time comes. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by LiveFlow. One thing we haven't talked about yet is how LiveFlow helps accountants and bookkeepers to use LiveFlow successfully in their firms. For starters, LiveFlow has amazing customer support. They offer instant help 24-7 from real humans via chat, or if you prefer, you can schedule a Zoom meeting, choose to call them, or even email the founders directly. LiveFlow has a library of plug-and-play templates such as consolidated P&L and flash reports to enable and scale across your clients in a snap. They also have dozens of blog posts from other LiveFlow users where they share their best practices and they even share their Google Sheets. So you can just copy them and start using their best practices in your firm instantly. In my opinion, this is what really sets LiveFlow apart from thousands of other QuickBooks Online apps, this ability to build, share, and scale on each other's work. To learn more about using LiveFlow and how you can save 20% off your first three months, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash LiveFlow. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash L-I-V-E-F-L-O-W. So you become treasurer. You win the election. Mm -hmm. What's your job? Like, what are you doing for the citizens so of investing. Yeah, yeah. So you're investing, you're basically investing funds for the state of South Carolina um, in, 
between like the collection point and the spending point. So, and because, you know, they can't just, I mean, it's a lot of money to just be sitting in a bank account, right? So they do, they do invest monies for long-term projects uh, and, and you basically break it down into what, you know, what they need immediately. So that's like short-term versus long-term investing. And there's also a position that's an elected position that's basically writes the checks, but really the treasurer is like the banker is like the state's banker. Yeah. And, and, and I guess, yeah, where you put that money is political mm-hmm. these days, right? Do you yeah. invest in ESG type funds? Do you invest in oil and gas? Uh, it can make a difference. Well, there's, and, it's mm-hmm. interesting. The current state treasurer has um, just recently, I think it's interesting that just recently the state awarded the treasurer's office $500,000 to investigate cryptocurrencies to educate business leaders in the state about about cryptocurrency. So next week I'm going to a blockchain conference in Charleston that is basically the MC is our current state treasurer uh, to to kind of ask the hard questions like what about the environmental impacts you know for those who mine cryptocurrencies you know they're using more electricity than some small countries in you know in a given day. So it just it's it's a lot it's a lot to digest uh, as far as what what exactly needs to be done in order to move the state forward, but not in a way that's going to be harmful or, or hurt constituents in any way. So We like to talk a lot on this show about the CPA pipeline problem, the future of our profession. As a CPA, Sarah, do you have any thoughts, ideas as to how we can fix this mismatch between supply and demand of CPAs? I think I think it comes down to a lot of understanding the person and we're so busy with, you know, managing clients that we don't really take the time to manage our professionals like as our staff. And staff is probably the number one asset that most CPA firms, like their number one cost is the is the asset of the staff that they have. You know, are you asking the right questions? Are you asking them if they like the work they're doing? Not and then not berating them when they don't get the work that you've asked them to do done, you know, if that's not something they're interested in. So I think we really need to kind of address the issue of the individual and not necessarily the the overall. There is an also, uh, I went to an, a CPE where they were saying, you know, you all are complaining about not having candidates for, CP, you know, accountants basically coming out of college. Y'all aren't showing up at colleges and universities telling people how great your job is or why your job is important to you. So there's, I think that we all need to be ambassadors uh, of the profession and encourage those, you know, those coming up from high school uh, into college or even just straight out of high school. If, if there's, if someone would like to intern, you know, are we encouraging, we're going, are we going into uh, high schools and saying, Hey, I, you know, I just need somebody to help me load things to the portal or whatever. You know, it's, it's really, are we, are we doing the diligence and getting out there and expressing why being a CPA or accountant is important to us? Well, we're just so busy, right? That's the, yeah, I, the it's and hard that's to make what, time. Well, it's, it's funny because my um, my partner, she, I was, I was telling her that this is what was going on at the CPE, and she said, "You tell you tell that presenter to go to the, the colleges. I'm over here preparing tax returns." <laughs> so yeah, we're all, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, it's hard for the for CPAs who are out there serving small businesses. There's so much work to be done to make time to go out and do outreach, right, mm-hmm. on behalf of the profession. It's hard to 
hard to justify that or hard to find time for that. Or, I mean, even send your associates out. We have two associates in the office. I was going to actually ask them to go and do a presentation at their school uh, and see if they, you know, see if they could drum up some interest, some more interest in yeah. in um, folks coming, you know, coming up out of school. So, I, I feel like part of the problem, and this is just based on my personal experience, part of the problem is that a lot of partners are actively discouraging people from going into the profession. So when I was a bookkeeper and I was taking classes to get my CPA as a career changer, one of the CPAs I worked for actually said, like, don't do it. <laughs> he oh. told me, he told me, don't become a CPA because he, I think, was, you know, overworked well, I think, and, and I miserable. Think that, no, I think that that was the case where if you could stay a bookkeeper and not have the vehicle of a CPA behind your name, you would stay with them forever. So I think that a lot of people might discourage their lower uh, staff from moving up because they know that, oh, you're really good at this. I don't want you to go anywhere. But as soon as you get that CPA license, it's an automatic ticket to whatever you want to do. So it's sort of selfish thinking, right? Keep your staff where they are. But long term, that doesn't work. No, long term, it doesn't. Anyway. I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah. If they're not happy, they'll move on. But yeah. I think that as a profession, we need to work on the environment in which we are educating, you know, basically educating our staff. You know, we, we push the we push the numbers, but at the same time, are they really learning anything? Yeah. So, and, you know, every I guess every every kind of chat that we've been a part of as far as, you know, reaching out to everyone else to see what what the standard is right now. And they're saying two years before associates will start actually producing more than they're taking home so right well and that's because our education doesn't really prepare people to do the work that is necessary in most firms yeah right we have to train them all over again yeah and and it's interesting i mean through covid covid really threw a wrench in everything with uh young professionals i think in general just because you know they were they were going to school and learning and then all of a sudden the teachers had to basically rewrite the syllabus because you know they couldn't either they, they had to take the time in order to go virtual if they weren't already and then retool their lessons for, for you know, people who, who couldn't be on the virtual. So uh, I think that, that there's a lot that I know that our associates missed in just the, the spectrum of mm-hmm. change that happened with COVID. So. And tell me a little bit about your firm. Uh, like so how many partners, how many staff? We've got... Three partners, and one of them is um, semi-retired. He's he's kind of in, he's like, I just want to go to part time during tax season, and then I can go off to like Europe and backpack or whatever. But we have we have ten overall individuals that are you know helping the office. Um, so we've got basically an associate or a um, a bookkeeper for each partner, and then a, a staff person too for it. So it's and then Got one, it. and then one more person that comes in as a contractor part time. So, so it's like three, six, nine, and then ten. So. And do you yourself have a particular area of focus? Uh, no, basically every. So we've been we've been trying to narrow our niche, but it's usually for me it's just any small business. But I'm not taking on businesses that are just need a tax return or just need bookkeeping or just need payroll. It's like it has to be everything. We're going to do uh, it all or we're not going to do any of it. Uh, but overall, this, the firm is trying to move towards service 
providers for like outdoor things like construction workers adventure kind of club things um like for example we had a skydiver come in last week asking for assistance um we've we've been looking uh some people have been uh looking at atvs like doing those like through the Mm -hmm. desert kind of uh adventure tours there's also been like day camps for kids and so we're looking to move to more of like an outdoor kind of that but right now we're just really generalists i mean we have people uh clients who work in the space industry and retailers you know everything in between so it's kind of interesting yeah well that's great so I was looking at your website and you were talking about things you'll do mm-hmm. once you're in office right and you yeah. have a sentence here and, and it just it kind of ties right back to this conversation and i'll just read it stop turnover in the treasurer's office by encouraging employees to be confident in their positions and provide an environment that allows people to do their jobs and grow in their abilities as professionals it's basically it sounds like the department of treasury or the treasurer's office in south carolina has the exact same problems as the rest of the accounting industry yes um and i think that that is a little bit to do with the, the current manager so but i'll i'm not it's hard to i've had a lot of stories come to me about the management in the treasurer's office. And that's why I put that in there. Um, it's hard to campaign on that kind of a situation when you don't have like the numbers. Um, like I, I've, I've tried contacting like the human resources for the state and they're like, we don't provide that. And I was like, okay. There's no glass door reviews or you can't get a exactly. glass door and read these types of things. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, it's, I have heard a lot of, you know, of, of, People with with stories come to me and say, "I'm I'm glad you're running. The, let me tell you about this, or let me tell you about that." And I'm just like, "Okay, well, I'm gonna put that in there as one of because I think I I prefer to listen before before I, you know, engage in a conversation. You know, as when someone comes into my office, I don't tell them this is what you did wrong or this is you know what we need to work on. I ask them, tell me what you're what you're feeling about what's going on right now in the office. How how is life changing for you? Do you, you know, do you need more support from us? What what do you need from us? Not this is what I want from you. So uh, I think that the, a lot of accountants, a lot of CPs, offices should consider a little bit more about how to maintain what they have and encourage the environment to be more open. So. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, thank you so much. Good luck. Thank you. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Zoho. I'm sure you've heard of Zoho before. We've probably even mentioned Zoho CRM or Zoho Books on this podcast in the past. But do you really know about Zoho? Did you know that Zoho has been around for 26 years? Did you know that Zoho has 85 million users? Did you know that Zoho has over 50 applications? Did you know that Zoho offers one subscription to 50 applications? Did you know that Zoho apps are integrated with other Zoho apps? Did you know that almost all Zoho apps have Zapier connections? Did you know that some Zoho apps can connect directly to QuickBooks Online, Zero, and Sage Accounting? Did you know that Zoho offers an entire suite of solutions to run your firm? including a CRM, expense tracking, bookkeeping, a full office suite, a support ticket system, and workflow automation. Did you know that Zoho offers a suite of solutions for your clients' bookkeeping, including bookkeeping, inventory, invoicing, subscription management, and a checkout app? Did you know that Zoho has an accountants program? Did you know that Zoho advisors get free access to eight Zoho applications and a dedicated account manager? 
If you want to learn more about becoming a Zoho advisor, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash Zoho. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash Z-O-H-O. Zoho, a one-stop solution for all business needs. So David, where do we go from here? I have a PwC is launching a work for credit program for aspiring accountants. A work for credit program? Yeah, so it looks like- I saw in, this. Yeah, there was a, a law was changed in May um, in the state of New Jersey that allows students that already have 120 credit hours, they can now earn the extra 30 they need for the CPA by actually working at a firm. Yes, instead so, of doing a year- uh, in a graduate Another program. one more year of school, basically, mm-hmm. yeah. And so they partnered with uh, St. Peter's University, and it's a first-of-the-kind pilot that they're doing. And so basically, you are going to work full-time, get paid full-time, but be able to utilize that experience and it accounts towards your credit hours. And they, uh, six weeks ago started, or I'm sorry, a week ago started this with six students. It's only in New Jersey for New Jersey licensing at the moment. Correct. And they're expected to contribute between 40 and 50 hours a week. <laughs> If they're lucky. Yeah. If they're lucky, yes. It, it, it's very, it's not even like 40. It's 40 to 50. Like they already have 50 <laughs> listed there, which means it's probably 50 to 60. But Right, exactly. Yeah, and the uh, and PwC will pay the university that's part of this program, St. Peter's University. So I don't know. I mean, it's a step in the right direction. I think that work experience should be counted equally to education. And if we really wanted to solve this problem, we would say that, you know, if you've got five years of experience working in public accounting, uh, we don't care at all about your education requirement. You sit for the CPA exam, you pass it, you're a CPA, yeah. right? Like, why not? Uh, otherwise, you're just perpetuating this university monopoly that they seem to have on accounting education. Well, we all well know. even this is a game because they don't, like, ideally, it would be this. Go work in an accounting firm for a year. We'll give you credit for that if you choose to keep going to become an accountant. First, you have to do, basically, you're all in. You're committed to being an accountant if you've already done 120 of the 150. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, this is yeah. at the end of your, your run, <laughs> essentially. Oh, uh, well, so hey. What uh, if you start doing that and you realize you don't like it? Now you're that's like, right. now what? Like, so, uh, let's see. Speaking of big firms, I got a few stories about audit failures. Those are always fun. Uh, going concern. A bunch of auditors at RSM effed up. That's the headline on a Going Concern article. They're covering the SEC's order that charges RSM, three senior-level employees who work there, and a couple of partners with improper professional conduct for failing to properly audit Revolution Lighting Technologies, Inc.'s financial statements over a four-year period. Apparently, Revolution was violating accounting principles by inflating revenue with bill and hold sales. David, have you heard of this scheme, bill and hold sales? I think we talked about it last week with VMware, something similar, right? It, so, it, yeah, it's uh, when let's... you book the sale because you want to get the revenue to a different quarter to state what you're doing, and yeah, it's it's RevRec games, right? So yeah, and and actually, VMware was doing the opposite. They were pushing <laughs> revenue from current quarters into the next quarter to even earnings. In this situation, Revolution was booking revenue, but then not shipping until the following quarter. And that's like accelerating it, right? To make their current quarter look better. And yeah, basically RSM failed to find this. And 
yeah, they basically failed to figure it out. They should have had something in place. Now, the funny thing is about these SEC orders is that RSM did not admit or deny the SEC's findings, right? They, they don't have to like admit guilt in this and they're going to pay a $3.75 million penalty. They're going to retain an independent consultant to review and evaluate its audit review and quality control pr- policies and procedures. But like these, um, these two individuals who were at the center of it, right, of the audit, they, they are suspended, but they can apply for reinstatement after three years and one year, respectively. So like three, three years, one year, and then they can go back to doing what they're doing. So like, I, you know, I, I, again, I say this a lot, but I feel like the penalty for doing a crappy audit is actually really not that bad because you're, you can come back and, and do it again, Right. Yeah, I'm just trying to see. I'm trying to Google here what the Revolution Lighting's revenue is. Well, what would be more interesting, though, would be RSM's revenue, right? Because this $3.75 million penalty is, you know, that's what they're going to pay for this, right? But it does is that material to them? Well, yeah, I mean, like, how like how much are they getting from the lighting company? Right. As a, what are they billing? Yeah, so their, their revenue is $175 million. So how much are you getting if you're auditing them? Is this a million-dollar uh-huh. engagement? Like, was this still a profitable engagement for them, even with the fine, is I guess where I'm wondering. Probably not, but then across their whole client base, right? If, if you only get really hit for all. one, yeah, it's, 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 RSM had $3.3 billion in revenue in its uh, most recent fiscal year, right? Yeah. So, like, a, a $3.75 million penalty compared to $3.3 billion in revenue, not a, not a big deal, right? Um, so, we've got this story about the uh, SEC Advisory Committee that I mentioned, I want to read some of the quotes from here. This is uh, from the Investor Advisor Committee. They've released a set of recommendations for reforming the way FASB operates and particularly criticizing uh, current accounting standards. Here's the draft recommendations from the committee. In recent years, investors have increasingly voiced concerns that accounting standard setting has not kept pace with the evolution of the sources of value and risk leaving investors without the information they need to value modern companies. Investors are working with a 19th century manufacturing accounting model in a 21st century service-oriented global intangibles-based economy. Our view is that the accounting model does not provide a suitable framework for the information investors need. Uh, And that was from the CFA Institute uh, in a letter from Sandra Peters, and the group pointed to this. So, like this is what I've been talking about, David. Where, you know, I harp on this that accounting standards were developed during the industrial age for railroads for manufacturing, yep. and they have not evolved in a hundred years to deal with intangible assets and the knowledge economy and businesses that derive value from subscriptions and things that are not just selling widgets. And not to mention, investors are not even using them. I mean, most people are investing, and they've never looked at a financial statement for any company ever. Right. And the reason they're not using them is because the data in the financial statements is just not as useful as it used to be. It, you know, maybe it was really useful for GE back in the day, but it's not useful for evaluating Netflix or evaluating Amazon or Google or any of these modern technology companies that are based on subscriptions and digital assets. Um, and they miss the, they, I mean, they, they, it misses the use cases, right? Like you walk around and like every kid has Netflix open on their device yeah. in your house. Or, and, or you have Roblox, you, right? Ro- yeah. Metaverse. The metaverse is intangible, right? And like accounting standards don't know how to deal with this stuff. The committee criticized FASB for spending so much of their time focusing on simplification for 
the people who issue financial statements or the accountants who issue them. So they spend their their time and resources fine-tuning narrow standards rather than addressing more pressing accounting issues such as cash flows and tangibles, financial statement preparation, labor cost accounting, segment reporting, and measurement of the financial impacts of climate change and energy transition. For instance, the uh, statement of cash flows hasn't been updated since the 1980s, and they cite the widespread concern about the lack of authoritative guidance for internally developed intangible assets. FASB declined to comment on this. Yeah, it's 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 actually nice to hear that you know the investor advisor committee is bringing this stuff up. Like maybe something will happen. Maybe FASB won't spend ten years figuring out how to do lease accounting or even longer with revenue recognition. I mean, that's how long it took. Ten years. And then they issued, you know, hundreds of pages on on lease accounting. And I have not met a single person who thinks that any of that stuff is useful at all to investors. It just created a bunch of work for accountants. It's a bunch of rules that that offers very little value. And if you're listening and you think it offers value, please tell me because I can't find anybody who says that any of it has value, which is a waste of time. Now, they did make a change. I don't know if you saw about the, for the way companies are declaring their cash flow. Apparently, prior to, or just in general, you used to not really get your financing through the supply chain. I think historically, you'd take a loan from a bank, go acquire the things you get, you need, and that's it. But now the supply chains, and it's becoming so massive, like the you're getting your financing basically from the person you're buying the goods from, right? right? And they play games with those numbers. And so apparently as of on Thursday, they finally published rules. The In this article, this article is in Bloomberg Law, and they said U.S. accounting rules makers, so I'm assuming it's FASB, right? Like mm-hmm. more than likely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and they published, so next year companies have to reveal their financial statements in the footnotes of their supply chain financing, and then how much of it at stake uh, at the reporting period. And this goes into effect any reporting after December 15th, 2022. So basically 2023 calendar year reporting companies. So they do make decisions. It says they were, the SEC has been complaining about this since 2020 and called out Coca-Cola, Procter & Gamble, Boeing, and others. But if they've been complaining about this since 2020, it's only 2022. And the decision's been made and the guidance and the recommendation is here. Like, so it kind of contradicts what you were just saying, right? Like, is it just some things are easier? Maybe is that why? I, I don't know. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Canopy. Did you know that Canopy has a partnership with the IRS? This means that you can now use Canopy to pull your client transcripts. The integration is approved by the IRS and can be configured to automatically pull transcripts so you can easily monitor if and when something changes. Now here's the best part. Once you have your client's transcripts, you can use Canopy's notices feature to help you resolve your client's notices. Canopy has a library of 350 plus pre-built federal and state notice templates that provide an overview of the notice type, as well as walk you through the recommended steps to resolution. And Canopy can even create and autofill your IRS response letters. Canopy also integrates with QuickBooks Online, Xero, FreshBooks, CRMs, Form Builders, Spreadsheets, Calendars, Email, and Zapier. They even have a mobile app, centralized file management, fillable PDFs, a client portal, task management, and the list goes on and on. To get a demo of Canopy and to receive a $40 Amazon gift card, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash canopy. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash C-A-N-O-P-Y. 
I got a story about another audit failure. Uh, the SEC has charged Friedman with improper professional conduct and audits. So this was uh, audits of two public companies from 2017 to 2020. New York City-based Friedman, which completed a merger with top 25 firm Markham earlier this month, has agreed to settle the charges and will pay $1.5 million in total monetary relief. One of the audits in question is of iFresh Inc. for fiscal years 2017 to 2020. The firm, according to the SEC's order, failed to design and perform audit procedures that would have detected numerous undisclosed related party transactions by iFresh. iFresh is an American, Asian-American grocery supermarket chain. They've been previously charged by the SEC with repeatedly filing materially inaccurate financial statements that failed to fully disclose related party transactions. So I guess this has happened in the past. The allegations are that iFresh engaged in undisclosed transactions with entities that were either controlled by the CEO of the company or owned by the CEO's brother, and the firm did not exercise professional skepticism during its review of the work papers, specifically failing to recognize indications of undisclosed related parties, and they did not design, implement, and monitor an adequate system of quality control, and they failed to adopt and implement adequate policies and procedures regarding audit documentation. And as with the uh, the one we just talked about, Friedman did not admit or deny the findings. They are going to be censured, implement training of staff, and pay uh, some fines. And that's that. So, so apparently ah. you can do a bad audit, and you can just pay money, and you, you're, you're okay. <laughs> yeah, and to some extent, he's playing games with the numbers. And I remember a year ago, or it feels like even longer, you really got on this kick that there's a risk here of people misstating revenues, playing games with their numbers, and it could cause a big collapse in the economy. Well, people have some data on this now. It's kind of interesting. So I saw an article that said, uh, this is in Bloomberg as well, how creative accounting camouflages weak corporate profits. Okay. So obviously right now everything's recession, recession, recession. That's all the talk. But if you look at the S&P 500 company's earnings reports, there's no indication we're in a recession. People are saying we're in a recession. But like I just saw a story uh, about how unemployment insurance claims are the lowest they've been since April or May. So you're saying Gab earnings are up? Gave Call Researches, Charles Gave, he started his finance career in 1970, but he compared the S&P 500 earning profits from the broader economy and found that historically the data diverges on the brink of recessions. Okay. And so and basically... Since 1960, on every occasion when the S&P 500 earnings climbed 20% above the broader corporate profits, a recession ensued. Say that again. So, so when S&P 500 earnings climbed at least 20% above broader corporate profits, a recession ensued. So the, the, the S&P 500 companies are better at playing creative accounting games. Oh, right? okay. And so as, okay. soon as, as soon as there was a the difference happens and that when they're not aligned with the rest of all the other so, corporate profits that are happening. It's an indicator that they are playing games and that means that a recession is coming. That's what, that's what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, because they're the only ones having good numbers. Right. If that makes any sense. Ah, interesting. And so is that happening now? Yes, it's, it's at, it's at okay. its spot right now. So, so this is strange because we also have this data that shows that unemployment is not really increasing. In fact, the labor market is tight. It's it's tighter even in, in areas like we see this in accounting where broadly in the United States right now across all industries, there are two jobs for every one worker. 
two jobs available for every one worker. So I find this idea that a recession is going to correct the labor imbalance in accounting to be completely absurd. Because if anything, it's worse than that. There's probably more than two jobs for every accountant right now. So like all those partners out there hoping that that's going to solve the problem, it's not going to happen. Well, when we were in NetSuite, one of the, they had three apps pitch, and one of the apps was a healthcare virtual. They're trying to use a VR technologies and virtual doctor's appointments to help doctors scale and nurses scale because there's not enough. They have a labor crisis in that industry. Yeah. So, yeah, there's probably some industries that it doesn't really matter about the economy. There's going to be bodies needed. And, and paying taxes and financial reports and accounting, it doesn't matter the state of the economy. You're still going to – the same amount of work exists, right? It's yeah, the same yeah. thing with healthcare. The economy can get bad, but it doesn't mean people don't need healthcare. So there's going to be some some industries where the labor shortage could never be solved by a, a cutback. I mean, may, maybe you know, five star steakhouses if they have a labor shortage and the economy gets tight and they all start closing, they yeah. don't have a problem anymore. But in general, I don't think like well, the accounting industry is going to be affected. In my experience of observing Intuit all these years, like recessions never slowed things down in our industry. Well, and here's. One more data point sort of on the other side of this that could contradict me and point that like layoffs are coming. Wall Street Journal had a, had a video on their site called Why Worker Productivity is So Important to the Economy. And it's a great summary of like this, this measure, productivity measure that we've tracked for decades and decades in our country. Worker productivity has stagnated and even gone down, right, over decades. We haven't really seen a lot of improvement in this ratio. And in 2022, we had the sharpest decline in labor productivity in 74 years. We had negative productivity growth. And productivity is your output, your GDP, divided by your labor hours. So if if productivity declines, it means you're making uh, less stuff with the same people or you've hired more people and you know like you're that it's that ratio right yeah it's how much stuff are you making versus how much time you're inputting and so because that's declined that could indicate that that companies are holding on to their workers but they're not getting much out of them so maybe at some point right they'll start letting them go to it's increase all those productivity quitters. right <laughs> all those quiet quitters all those quiet working. quitters right maybe but then also i'm wondering Maybe maybe this measure that we have, this productivity measure where the denominator we're dividing by hours worked is wrong now. Because I am always talking about, and we're talking about in this profession, about how like the, the inputs that you do are not as important anymore because of technology, right? Like I can do the work in one hour that a traditional bookkeeper could do in a whole day if I set up my accounting system properly. So is, is productivity where the inputs are hours, is that even accurate anymore? Like maybe that's the reason that the measure doesn't make sense. I'm not sure, but we've got all this conflicting data, right? We've got productivity declining. We've got unemployment insurance claims declining. And we actually haven't seen in the broader earnings announcements like huge declines, right? The economy's still going fine. We, you know, we've seen the, the stock market go down, but the stock market prices are not the economy. And, and yet you have the Federal Reserve saying, you know they're gonna they're gonna keep raising the interest rates until they see some unemployment. But what if the unemployment never comes? Are they just gonna keep raising rates? Like maybe maybe they're fighting the the battle from the last recession. I don't know. Yeah. 
maybe we're looking at the wrong thing. Well, and then based on the NetSuite conference, if you use most of, more of the suite, you grew even faster. <laughs> that, was, that was the message there. It was pretty obvious. You know what you was know, really... every company there is like in hyper growth. They're so all in hyper. Kind of yeah, amazing. they're all doing great, right? What yeah. was um, what was interesting about NetSuite? I think my favorite part of the conference wasn't actually even any of the inter- official interviews we did. It was we went to a happy hour hosted by Bitwave, and we got to meet the team from Reddit. And, and it's the internal controller accountants team. It's not. It's not. I, I first when I met them, I thought they were like in the Reddit subgroup for accountants. I just thought they were. I was like, this is so cool. Like just like uh, yeah, Reddit users. For Reddit. I didn't. Yeah. It took me a while to put that well, together. And I was confused too because they work at Reddit, but the title wasn't you know controller. It wasn't head of finance. It was product manager. And so then I thought, wait, you're a product manager? Does that mean that you design Reddit? Like, I, I was very confused. But it, the full title of, of one of the people I spoke to was product manager finance systems. So there's a team of four at Reddit, four people. And all they do is manage the systems. So NetSuite, whatever they're using for managing their business, like the, the CRM, the systems, all that stuff, the IT, the information systems. That's all they're they do. The, I mean, it's 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 the app stack. The app stack. They're yeah. building the app stack. Yes. Yeah. So think about this. You know, that's that's four years ago when we went to Sweet World or when I went to Sweet World, that would be one person. Now there's a team of four people managing the app stack, what we call the app stack in the small business world at Reddit, and they're probably saving Reddit forty people because they've got all the data flowing automatically. And what I love about their titles. I'm, there's no doubt at any company, especially startups, anywhere you go, the product manager, the product manager job band, that title, is probably getting 40% more pay than the IT controller. Or IT. Yeah, right? Yeah. So and, uh, this if is you're important. doing this kind of work, you should try to lobby that you, you could argue, uh, the product manager is doing this for the product at our company. I'm doing the same thing for our internal accounting product, our, yeah. our tech stack. I want to be paid the same. You could you change your title to product manager. Stop yeah. calling yourself controller, sysadmin, all these things. So I asked this question. I said, so do you do any financial close? Do you do any accounting? And they said, no. Our job is just to support that team by making sure that NetSuite is doing its job. They're building the systems. Yeah. Automating as much as possible. And it makes sense because the financial close is getting shorter and shorter and shorter. Businesses want to know the results right after month close and even on a weekly basis. And so you got to automate. You got to have real-time data flowing. And I don't know I was really excited because like if, if I was going to go back and, and, and into our space uh, and, and you know, not just be a podcast. Start again. Like start your, be your, a re- accounting, your, your accounting career over. I don't be know. a real accountant. I would, want to, I, want, I would want that job. I would want to go work at Reddit in finance systems and be a product manager because that just sounds so cool. And of course, then we got well, to talk to them all about we got to talk to them all about the accounting subreddit. Yeah, because I think they we are jump into app news, but I think we're gonna have to cut <laughs> out. Like, we are not gonna get to the Intuit's Investor Day slide deck. It can't happen. Really, so we have to do that next week. No, it's, it's 157 slides. It's it is actually everybody should go look at it in between, and then we can all kind of half discuss it together next time we all come together to do the podcast. I've never seen so much shared in a deck before. Like essentially into it's like, here's everything we're going to do. Here's how we're doing it. There's no point of NDAs anymore. They, mm-hmm. They've just shared everything. 
here's all the numbers, here's the numbers of this, here's what we're doing moving forward. And I think the, the summary of it is they look at the TAM, the total addressable market, it's so gigantic. And Intuit's viewing themselves as like, we don't own any market share yet. Like we don't really, like we're, we're not, we're not a, here's our plan because nobody can go and steal it. Like it's wide open. Right. All like, right. Here's our plan. And here's our goal. And here, here's how we're going to execute and get this. Try to stop us is kind of the view, the, the view of the deck. So we won't go into that past that, but let's jump into app news. You want to play the music? Okay. App news. Here we go. So we're going to talk about NetSuite's announcements. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's just go down the list, David. NetSuite AP Automation. NetSuite announced last year that they are partnering with HSBC, the bank, to process bills and pay vendors, and they've rolled that out with AP Automation. But it's a lot more than that, right? It's not just paying bills from directly within NetSuite. You can actually add your bills in like a like a Dext or an auto entry or a hub doc. You can drag and drop bills, or you can have people, vendors, email in their bills. And they go into NetSuite, and there's OCR that happens, and you can, you know, tag and the three-way matches back to your purchase orders and other yep. parts of the suite, and then pulls through all the way through to the bill payment and getting and, the bill payment approved. And if you sign up for the HSBC bill payment, you can actually pay your bills from directly inside of NetSuite, a la Bill.com, kind of functionality, and yeah, like it, and it works uh, with your existing bank account too. HSBC will provide the payment rails and you just hook it up to your bank account. So that's pretty slick. And it's all in the suite. You don't have to leave. And, and arguably yeah. the natural home to and to pay bills is in the accounting yeah. software, right? Oh. You don't have to leave to go pay your bills. You're already here. Just pay them in the accounting software. So it, so it really makes a lot of sense. Yep. Um, and HSBC is doing ACH check or virtual card. And the virtual card thing's kind of cool. So if you have a customer or, or a vendor that likes to take credit card numbers, and that's the easiest way to pay them because it, getting their ACH information is difficult. You can send them a one-time use credit card number. They can use that number to charge you for that specific amount that you've authorized. And then they And get what's paid. attractive about that, if you're a big enough company on the other side, if they're sending you a virtual credit card number, guess what you can do on your side? Virtually process everything and automate the whole process on your side when you're getting paid, right? And so that's mm-hmm. the beauty like to, for bigger businesses if you have high volume. That's the best way to go. You can eat the fee. You can eat the 2% credit card fee, the processing fee, if you're automating a process and you don't have to have a body, right? Yeah. Doing, doing this work for you. So um, then I'm just going to go down the list, David, and I'll yeah. let you introduce this one. So the next one was NetSuite CPQ. That stands for Configure Price Quote. And essentially what they've done is, because it's all in the suite, because what happens right now is you have you know, a salesperson, they're on Salesforce, they're telling the customer, sure, we got the parts, we can sell you this. And then the people that go to pick the parts to ship it, like they can't do it because the parts don't exist. But because the suite has everything in it, they've tied this all together. So you can quote your customer, configure it. Like they have an example where it's a desk, pick all the components of the desk. If they're not um, available, you can't, you can't quote that to the customer. It's all tied into the full inventory. It gets configured. It also t- ties into any of um, maybe special pricing you have. There's three or four promotions. Those will get pulled in automatically. And then it pulls all the way through the, uh, the next feature, really, which is essentially their Ship Central. I don't know if you want to talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Ship Central optimizes fulfillment and eliminates manual processes for warehouse workers. 
it's a lot of it's a lot of workflow around how do we optimize shipping, especially when somebody's ordering multiple products. That's the feel I got. So use fewer boxes. A lot of shipping solutions will just put out a shipment for each item. Previously, right? Like in NetSuite, you would you would just pack a box with one item, put a label on it. Pack a box in another item, put a label on it. And now you can actually efficiently do this. And to me, it it made me think of the way Amazon optimizes their shipping, where they'll pick the perfect size box based on the items, and then the workers just put everything in, and it all fits. And the other big thing was their uh, part of their people suite or sweet people workforce management. So they acquired a company called I think it's called Addy, and uh, basically what it is is if I'm a restaurant, my employees can I can schedule my employees. They have an app. They can clock in and out from the app. They can swap shifts. I mean, it's it's it's, it's an app that probably people have seen with their own clients on, right? They, a lot of time yeah, sheet it, apps it, they've added it, on. It amazing. reminded me of every point of sale system in a restaurant or a store that has the clock in clock out functionality. <laughs> Right, that has the scheduling functionality that lets workers swap shifts. It's pretty sophisticated. Yeah, and then they uh, but, layered in knowledge about overtime rules and all the all the places people do business, and that automatically flows obviously the payroll into the financials. Yeah. I think my big two takeaways from like what they've announced: a, they tie every feature back to the financials. Right. So but, they always show how, and th- because this is something that the other add-on solutions can't do, they show how as you change and update your schedule for the week you see your labor cost and not just the dollar amount of your labor cost based on the hours, but also like the percentage of your labor cost according to your budgeted amount. So if you want your labor cost in your restaurant to always be 28% of sales, you can reach that target. And it's not just you as the finance person, the, the actual manager who's making the schedule will see that number go up and down and then they can target that number. Yeah, And that is that is really powerful and it's the sort of thing you can only do when you have a sweet approach. And, and, and the other thing that, that went the bell went off for me when they started going through these features, well actually two bells. One is it would be the perfect product to have a chat. You we've been talking about this. Why don't GLs have chats, right? They should be built in, there should be a chat chatting between the teams and with NetSuite, it makes a lot of sense because you put all your employees into NetSuite. It would make sense for it to have a chat like functionality like Teams or Slack or something. But the other one they part that really went off for me is when I'm seeing these features come out. In many cases, we've been seeing this like for a decade, right? Yeah. Through apps yeah. And, and the tech stack that bats onto a QuickBooks or Zero. And my assumption is if you had a restaurant and a point of sale, you probably even use three or four of these apps to run your restaurant. And I'm like, it feels like NetSuite's late to the party, but I'm also thinking these these apps come and they go, they go out of business, they raise the prices, it's this dance and this game where I could see people that attend this conference and CFOs and IT leaders are the people that are at uh, Sweet World. No, Reddit, right? Oh, I Reddit. see them <laughs> yeah. sitting back and being like, you know what? What's built in is good enough. Yeah. We're just going to roll with that. It's rolled up into our bill. And not only that, is it's good enough. It actually might be better because it ties all the way back to everything else we do in NetSuite. Yeah. So I kind of can see where people, as they add these things to the suite, people are like, oh, great. That's one less like third-party solution I need to use. Yeah. I'm just going to use this one because it's good enough. I think you're right, right, David. And and it's specifically targeted. I think these products are targeted toward people who are on a QuickBooks and they have all these add-ons connecting into it and they know that they need to switch to an ERP system. And the more that they can take that they're doing separately and package into one, like the the the, the reduction in the number of apps is a selling point because it means that I can hire a NetSuite person who knows NetSuite and I know that they will be able to figure out how to do all this stuff. 
and they don't have to go out and learn something they don't know. And so becoming a, a NetSuite expert, like we talked to the, the Reddit folks, right? Like a lot of them, the two of them at least have been doing NetSuite for years and years and just moving into different companies, helping them optimize this whole thing. So to me, it's sort of like the, the benefit of being a QuickBooks Pro Advisor, for instance, right? And just knowing every bit of the app, it's the same thing, but for this ERP system, it's just so much more vast. So the opportunity is so much greater. If you're an accounting student and you love technology, I mean, that's probably one of the reasons you're listening to this show. Go learn this app. Go learn the suite. Especially if you think you're going to go private. Yeah, if you want to go private and you don't want to sweat it out in public accounting i mean but you can also do it in public like you can yeah. be a consultant yeah, so uh, one of the one of the redditors uh was at, at a deloitte in netsuite implementations and consulting and then moved over to industry so you can do the same thing in industry and in public it's just uh, so much opportunity because and, and every somebody, business like, half needs asked this. evan goldberg the the founder and executive vice president about you know, these pendulum swing of bundling and unbundling of apps and app stacks and choice. And he pretty much said, there's not one customer that's ever said, I really wish I had more separate products. Yeah. Like, well, like, now, yes, I, he's only asking that to people paying for NetSuite already, but it's probably I, true. I think it's a false uh, dichotomy, if that's the right word, where you, yeah, I'm so sick of hearing it. Best of breed versus all in one. It's not either or. And I didn't meet any NetSuite user who was using the whole suite. Yep. It's, I want a solution where all of my data can live. And if the processes, if the things I can do in NetSuite are good enough, I'll use it. And if I need to use an add-on, I will use it. But my data will still live in NetSuite. And they had 130 add-ons there. Which yeah. walked the Expo Hall. So there's still add-ons. It's the data moves in and out. Um, I want the what's option. interesting about their add-ons, their add-ons appear inside of NetSuite as a tab, right? right? It's not, you're not leaving to a different, uh, a different browser to play with those. And they um, have to it, do it that way because when they build an add-on in their own suite, they tend to do it via acquisition. So they yeah. add it in as a tab in their app. It just becomes NetSuite branded, right? Oracle branded. Um, I saw. Yeah, so I was, I was, I was, I mean, it was pretty, pretty good set of new features. Now, it's funny because, you know, these features apply to different industries. And so of the 6,000 people there, you know, there wasn't just like this amazing, you know, applause for any of them because for a manufacturer, well, you know, if you're not a manufacturer, like you don't really care and you don't ship things, you don't really care about the shipping features, right? So it was sort of like a little bit for everybody, but it was a lot. Great. Did you, if, if, if Black Line, was that something that's kind of similar to a Flowcast type product? Yeah, they were our, uh, you know, evil empire that we fought against as a startup at Flowcast. Well, they introduced a new buzzword this week called hyper-automation. <laughs> hyper-automation. They, they, they unveiled hyper-automation capabilities for taxes. I don't know. It just looks like it's actually something similar to that NetSuite announced. So NetSuite's uh, supporting Brazil. Mm-hmm. And basically... When you're working in Brazil, if you create an invoice, it has to like go to the government first and get some special barcode, come back to yeah. you before you can send it off to the – and then a special – it's almost like a completed tax return, but it's really the invoice is under some certain format, and you hand that to the client, then the client pays you. There's some, And it's all barcoded and coded up this way. So it looks like they're doing some things like that, generating invoices across jurisdictions to ensure compliance, audit. So they're doing that. They're doing some uh, tax-specific treatments. But I don't understand this like hyper-automation. They, so they said hyper automation 
from just automation by saying it is more about the holistic mapping and orchestrated use of tax-critical automation capabilities to break down financial silos and intercompany processes. That sounds know, some, I, like some like marketing, Mike, marketing gobbledygook to me. Yeah, I thought that was but kind of funny. It, it's all about reducing the number of people having to touch this stuff, right? Because again, we've got more than two accounting jobs for every accounting professional. So David, we, we are running out of time. I've got a listener voicemail that I want to play is there anything else? That I think you there's just two get small uh, people getting into bookkeeping. So LPL Financials, which essentially I think a lot of insurance agents, brokers, um, investor, uh, personal finance type investors, and not coaches is the right word, but people that manage that help manage the finances, right? For on the personal side, well, the company that helps manage that, they kind of have their own proprietary software for working with your clients and their assets and all that. They are now launching a dedicated bookkeeping service for the, the advisors that use their service. So they're getting into the bookkeeping game on that front. And then our favorite, you know, my favorite bank, PNC, or used to be Hatton, no longer Hatton, <laughs> they just purchased um, a point of sale. So they bought a point of sale called Linga, L-I-N-G-A, to expand upon their uh, payment solutions in the small business offering. They're offering clients. Huh? So that's like the next step, right? Now we got a point of sale. And we have a bank account. Like people are on this march to be bookkeepers. Everybody is. Everybody's going to be a bookkeeper in the future. Well, it's everybody's going to be automating bookkeeping for the client, whether or not they're using technology or they're using people, or it's a mix of tech and people behind the scenes. There just aren't enough bookkeepers, so that's going to be a, a big opportunity. Uh, and I've got a story on that. I got to save it for next week. Let's get to Geraldine Carter's voicemail. Hi, David. Hi, Blake. This is Geraldine Carter over here at the Business Strategy for CPAs podcast. I've been following your conversation, both in the Broken Supply Chain podcast episode, as well as on LinkedIn. And I wanted to add a piece that I think is perhaps inadequately addressed. And that is not just that the supply chain is broken, but that fundamentally the business model is broken. And the three pieces that I see most commonly needing to be addressed for accountants who own businesses or are in firms are that they still have vestige hourly billing, pricing, and thinking. Their prices are suppressed by sometimes a factor of three. And those prices need to get up. But the prices can't go up because the accountant still is simply doing accounting rather than figuring out how to apply accounting to create value and profit and wealth for their clients. And that comes when the CPA or the accountant can focus on who they want to work with and decide with it what problem they want to solve for those people. I'm talking more specifically about deepening your expertise and picking a niche to burrow into. And when I work with clients who make these changes, their profit margins come around really quickly. They don't have to work nearly as hard. Their hours come down and they enjoy their work a lot more. And from the outside looking in, if there are a lot of accountants who make these fundamental changes to their business model so that it's a profession where you can make a great living and also have a life outside of accounting, then perhaps it may become more attractive to more people because right now it just isn't very attractive for most of us from the outside looking in as something to pursue. Yep. I'm glad you guys brought this up. I'm glad you're surfacing this. I think it's an important topic. Keep up the great work. I love your podcast. Thank you so much, Geraldine. I feel like a lot of the problem with 
um, accountants being underpaid, especially at the starting salary level, has to do with pricing. It's that partners, directors, managers who are bringing in clients are underpricing based on the value that's being delivered. And so who gets paid the least when that happens? It's the staff, right? Because the partners got to make their money. And so whatever's left goes to staff. And when you underprice, that's who gets hurt the most. So yeah, if we want to solve the problem, we got to get out of this hourly billing mindset that we only get paid for these inputs. Um, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense anymore, especially when the inputs, the hours you work are so not connected anymore to the value you can create with technology. Yeah. Like I said, I, I can't, you, you can't bill hourly for bookkeeping work anymore because of the technology. You, you'd cut your own fees by 80%. You can't bill hourly for tax or audit. I don't think you can do that for any of it anymore, thanks to technology. Um, otherwise, your rates just look ridiculous, and that hurts you even further. You know, there was a, a tweet that I saw from Brian Davis, CPA, and he said... So uh, tax Twitter, I've seen a few posts like this. So just for giggles, how much would you charge for a 1040 with 24 1099s, interest and dividends, 27 K1s from partnerships, some of which have PFICs, and eight vacation rental properties that require bookkeeping, cleanup, and QBO? And there were answers like all over the board. People saying like, that's a full-time job. And some people saying I'd charge 25,000. Some people saying I'd charge 5,000. Like just all over the place, not even close. And I said... Uh, well, for me to calculate the price I would charge for that person, I would need to know their income. Because from the client's perspective, they don't know how much work this is going to be. You don't even know how much work this is going to be. It's such a big job. But they will look at your fee in context of how much money do they make and how much is this as a percentage of their annual income. Yeah, they'd probably think of it that way. Like, okay, this is this makes sense. I, I, okay, 2%, I need to spend on accountants. or something. They, they have yeah. some number in their head, and well, you're right. And if you look at the work, you're probably not going to match the number that's in their head. Right, that's how businesses, that's how business owners think. They think in terms of percent. So is this a point? Is this two points, right? Well, how many I mean, basis somebody points? has this kind of a mess. mess. I mean, when I say mess, not it's not mess, but it's just complicated. Just a lot. Right? It's complicated, as, as it, yeah. There's a lot to do. Chances are you probably can upsell them to other things. They probably need other services because yeah. that's there's a lot going on in their life. And this and, is, goes back to that needing a mother thing, right? Yeah, and ask do and find more. out what, what do they pay for their attorneys, right? How much are they paying their attorneys every year? What's their budget for that? Uh, you know, so so stop focusing on how many forms they have. Like when I see accounts- We're charging for the return, right? Yeah. It, it should be like, whoa, this customer is pretty complex came in and their income is this. How do I have a relationship with them? Not yeah, just- Yeah, you're charging for the, the planning, return. the relationship, the meetings, yeah. right? All, just like being on call, all that stuff. So, yep, 100%, Geraldine. Thanks so much for calling in or leaving that voicemail. I got and, two one-sentence reviews, which are beautiful. I can knock out and then we'll let everybody go. Sounds good. All right, so both these reviews are five stars. They're both on Apple Podcast. This first one is from Stell604 in Canada. I love, um, actually the title of it is Love This Podcast. I love listening to this podcast to get my weekly news and commentary. Thank you for putting on a great podcast. I look forward to each episode, exclamation point. And the other one is from Sean in Texas. It's five stars. Want to be a 21st century accountant? If so, you must subscribe. I haven't found anything even close for staying up to date on relevant technology and news. So thank you to Stella, Stell, 
and Sean. For Thank you so reviews. much. We really appreciate those reviews. They help us uh, get into people's feeds. If you want to leave a review, do that on Apple Podcasts or on Chartable. And if you want to send us a voicemail, you can do that. Send an email with your voicemail to cloudaccountingpodcast at earmarkcpe.com. That's cloudaccountingpodcast at earmarkcpe.com. Oh, and by the way, you can earn CPE credit for listening to this episode. Just download the free Earmark CPE app in the App Store, sign up, go find the Cloud Accounting Podcast channel. You'll see the course for this episode on the app a week after we drop this episode. Take a quiz. It's a five-question quiz. Get your CPE certificate. It's never been so easy to earn CPE. And if you donate to Sarah, take a screenshot of your receipt or a screenshot of the thank you page, tweet it out, tag us, tag Sarah, and we'll, uh, we'll retweet it and help amplify that message a little bit. David, great talking to you as always. I'll see you here next week. Bye, everybody. Time for the classifieds. Hey, podcast listeners, it's Blake, and I wanted to let you know about a new show I'm working on with CPA slash comedian Greg Kite and blogger slash former CPA Caleb Newquist. It's called Oh My Fraud, and it's a podcast all about financial crimes. That's right, a true crime podcast for accountants by accountants. Caleb and Greg are going to come together every couple weeks to unpack their favorite frauds and explore the circumstances, psychology, and interpersonal dynamics involved. They also fully indulge in victim-blaming the defrauded widows, orphans, infirm, and feeble-minded, because who can resist? If you fancy yourself a trusted advisor or prefer your true crime with spreadsheets instead of corpses, listen to this show to learn what to watch out for and to keep your clients, your firm, and even yourself safe. To subscribe, go to ohmyfraud.com or search Oh My Fraud on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info.